You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. Well, it's good to be with you guys. I'm Corey Russell, and I've been around here a few times. I uh, originally from Northwest Arkansas, got radically saved in 1997. Been uh, married my wife in 98. We're coming on 25 years here in August. Come on, somebody. 25. I have three beautiful daughters. I have a 23-year-old. I have a 20-year-old. The 20-year-old is with me. Maya, go ahead and wave your hand. Go ahead and say hi to Maya. (laughs) Then I got a 12-year-old, Hadassah, who's going to change the world. This girl's dangerous, man. She's coming. And um, she's in the cocoon right now, but she's about to unleash on the whole planet, and it's gonna, she goes to shake, she's awesome. Um, yeah, so we, we uh, spent 18 years in Kansas City serving at the International House of Prayer, and uh, come on, and 20, yeah, 24 7 prayer. And, uh, you know, they just, Mike Bickle and the team there at IHOP just rallied over 5 million believers all over the earth to, uh, to do a 21-day season of prayer and fasting for the salvation of Israel. And uh, we, I'm just so grateful for the formation and what I've received from my family there. Spent three and a half years here at Upper Room Dallas, here in Dallas. And then we're now in Denver, at House Denver, and we're seeking to build a praying church. So uh, it's literally what Pastor Chris was saying, that's who I am, that's what I wanna do. I wanna be the Leonard Ravenhill and E.M. Bounds of this generation. I want to be a man of prayer, ride on prayer, and preach on prayer. And uh, that's what we're going after. I've written nine books, and uh, anything to connect people with prayer. I've done six prayer albums. Um, do Get Glory Within. I have one called Teach Us to Pray. The, the one that's about a month old is called The Fellowship of the Burning Heart. We have it out here in the bookstore. I think we got about 30 left. Fellowship of the Burning Heart. I believe one of the wineskins that God is giving to us in this hour to walk out revival is not just fathers and sons, but brothers and sisters. Proverbs 17, he says that a friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. And God took me and a dear friend of mine, Alan Hood, on a 20-year-plus journey of extreme highs and devastating lows where we had to break through pain even difficulty with one another to break through into something rare, which is a brother born for adversity. Most people are best friends until you say something I don't like. And then we begin to distance ourselves and create boundaries. (laughs) Um, But, and, and I wanna say this about when we talk about brotherhood and friendship, most of us think about building around likes and dislikes, like, hey, he's my fishing buddy. He's my hunting buddy. He's my watch NBA buddy. I appreciate that, but if that's the basis of your relationship, it's just hobbies and likes, it won't be that deep. I wanna begin to call forth brothers and sisters that would be passionate after the flame, be passionate after the burning heart. We get the fellowship of the burning heart from the road to Emmaus, where those two guys were on the road Jesus showed up and set their hearts on fire. 
So it's got our journey in here, some powerful encounters, visitations, and we wanna see that touch. I've also given my strength to online training in prayer and, and, and building a global online family of prayer. I think we have a slide for that, as well as Corey Russell online. We got a QR code here. We're about to jump into a course on spiritual warfare. So uh, you guys join us in this. We've got thousands all over the earth that are gathered in this thing. And we train with three one-hour lives a month, rolling out a new course, and it will strengthen you in your life of prayer. Amen? Good, good. Turn to Luke 11. Luke 11. I, I have a title for this message. I usually don't get titles. The title of today's message is The Throne and the Groan. Everybody say The Throne. And now everybody say The Groan. I'm gonna call it The Heights of Prayer and the depths of prayer. And we need to learn how to discover both realities when it comes to the place of prayer. And I'm kicking off this summer series around prayer. And guys, I believe that God wants to revolutionize your prayer life. I believe that God wants to shift your prayer life from a place of frustration, boredom, and difficulty into a place of deep intimacy, deep connection, and, and seeing the power of prayer manifested in your life. I believe that. And I believe that Jesus' greatest impact on his disciples was his prayer life. I want you to think about that. I believe Jesus' greatest impact on his disciples, other than the cross, was his prayer life. And the cross was really prayer. It's the greatest act of intercession. It's when you become prayer. That's a whole nother message. Go to Luke 11, let's go. Luke 11, verse one, you with me? All right, I like to be talked to. You can throw things up here, throw your kid up here, anything. <laughs> yeah, whatever. All right, go get your kids. All right, here we go. Now it came to pass as Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. I counted it up one time, there's over 175 verses in the Gospels of either Jesus teaching on prayer or praying himself. It wasn't a side ministry, it wasn't salt on the meal, it was the meal. E.M. Bounds, the famous writer on prayer says, it was worth a trip from heaven to earth to teach us how to pray. Now we were singing during worship about Abba Father. That's the revelation Jesus brought in regards to prayer, that it wasn't a religious exercise or a duty or a discipline, but it was deep intimacy with our Father in heaven. And I believe with all my heart, look at, I love this. As he was praying in a certain place, who would have loved to have watched Jesus pray? The one who was with the Father from eternity past. The one who dwelt in the bosom of the Father. Prayer wasn't a religious activity. It wasn't something that he needed to do. It's where he lived. And he could go to talking to you, to talking to Abba effortlessly as he lived in two places at once. Jesus lived in two places at once, and I believe God wants to teach you how to live in two places at once. 
God wants to teach you how to have an eye on the throne and your hand in the earth moving back and forth as you are at work with the kids, doing errands, doing life, whatever it is, teaching you how to live in two places at once. That's not my main message this morning, but I could show you in scripture where Jesus lived in heaven while on the earth. Those disciples got to watch Jesus pray. He didn't have to stir himself to get there. He was there. He didn't need to do the four steps into getting intimate with Abba. He lived in the bosom of the Father. I love Mark 135 that it says that he would arise before daylight a long time and he would go to solitary places and pray. In Luke 5, in the height of revival, it says that Jesus would often withdraw into the wilderness and pray. Most of us would think that when revival pops, you capitalize on revival. Jesus goes, no, that's when I retreat and connect with Abba. I have a vision. How many moms and dads we got in this room? Raise your hand. Come on, I love it. Half the board, about 75% of the place. Listen, I got a vision. I believe that our greatest discipleship of the next generation is going to be our prayer life. Our greatest discipleship of your son and your daughter is not going to be your rules about following Jesus, but your tears when talking to Jesus. I have a vision for little Timmy or Susie waking up at seven, running in the living room, and seeing you on the couch, Bible open, notebook open, worship music on, and Timmy or Susie sees tears coming down your face as you're fellowshipping with God and communing with God and your son or daughter can feel the presence of God in the living room. Do you understand that's going to be more powerful than your thousand sermons to them about following Jesus? I wanna submit to you that I believe that's why so many young people leave the faith is because they see such a divorce between Sunday and Wednesday. That's what creates that's all hypocrites. It's because church and Christianity is not a once a week meeting. Jesus is not a once a week meeting. He's a real man that we have intimacy with and his presence invades our living rooms, invades our bedrooms, invades our cars. And the power of your son or daughter watching and feeling the dew of heaven off your life is gonna mark them more than anything else. Mom and dad, give them the dew of heaven. Give them the glow of been looking at God. I heard it during the first service this morning, a lot of you yell at God, but how many of you look at him? Do you know God's into eye contact? God's into eye contact. He really likes locking eyes and fellowshipping and communing with you. And you're going to see your prayer life revolutionize when you look at him. Those, I mean, who would have loved to have heard Jesus preach? Three of you, good. You're like, I don't really want to hear the preaching. You know what they looked like by the end of the Sermon on the Mount? It says they were astonished. Drool, just rolling down the lips. Who would have loved to have seen miracles and deliverances, healings? A lot more hands go up. You're like, I'm okay without the messages. 
Show me blind eyes popping open. Now think about this. Think about you walking with a man for three and a half years and you're in every revival service. It's not like, okay, pastor or sir, we'll see you tomorrow. No, they went with them and then they camped with them all night. They walked with them from city to city. They moved with them from place to place. They saw every blind eye open, heard every message, witnessed every deliverance, saw every miracle and resurrection. And we don't see one recorded time where they asked him, teach us to preach. Teach us to heal. Teach us to do miracles. Teach us to prophesy. Teach us how to raise the dead. After spending three and a half years with the Son of God, they go, we want your prayer life. And the Holy Spirit asked me a few years back, Corey, after people have been around you, do they want your preaching gift or your prayer life? Do they want your wisdom skills, your knowing how to build financial models, or do they want what happens when you close your eyes and talk to God? How atmospheres shift, how the presence of God comes, because you're not faking something, this is where you live. See, you can't fake the funk. You can't put on, well, I got a prayer life. Guys, this isn't for people on platforms and people who do stuff in front of people. This is the born again right of every believer. Your inheritance is to carry the dew of heaven, no matter what you do. We need men and women glowing at work. We need kids to see glowing faces. I ain't got time. Timmy's got time to be the greatest soccer player in the world. He's not going to be that good, though. But, but we've never missed a practice or a game yet. They ask him, teach us to pray. Friends, I, I got a question for you. Do people want your prayer life after being around you? Do they want your prayer life? Because you carry do. You carry that fragrance of heaven. You, you frequent the throne room and you live in the place of God. This is your inheritance. It's not for people on stages because honestly, you can't be given a greater stage than the one you're on called the access to the throne room of God. And if you're jacked up, you really qualify. Because you know what? There are no superheroes in, in the body of Christ. There's simple folk that decided a long time ago, you know, I'm tired of this thing being about me and how I feel this week on how good I think I'm doing and I'm dictating the terms of the relationship based on how I feel. It ain't about you, it's about what his blood says over you. It's about the access that you have to the throne. Well, Jesus is gonna blow up our models of prayer He's gonna give us the Lord's Prayer, which is our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What blows me away in the Lord's Prayer is it doesn't start with asking for something. It doesn't begin with asking for something, but looking at someone. So it's like Jesus is saying, okay, the first thing I have to deal with when your thoughts of prayer is we've gotta deal with the stronghold called the prayer list. So I need you to write down everything you need me to fix in your life. Save Uncle Johnny. Heal Aunt Betty. Touch her. Touch him. I need money. <laughs> I need money. 
And number nine, I need money. I know you got it on your prayer list right now. You're touching it right now. Jesus says, okay, you got your prayer list. Yes, Jesus. Jesus goes, give it to me. Here it is, Jesus. Did you get seven, eight, and nine? Yes, I got it. I got it. <laughs> All right, hand it to me. You hand it to him, and Jesus blows you a kiss, and then he rips up your list. And he goes, we're not going to talk about a list or asking for something first. I want to introduce you to someone. And I have come to share my dad with the whole world. He's not just my father. He's not just your father. He's our father. He's our father. He's breaking off orphanhood off the body of Christ. He's breaking off that illegitimate spirit. He's breaking off that illegitimate spirit that lives at a distance, that only wants to make it transactional. It ain't transactional. It's intimacy. He's not a vending machine. He's not a sugar daddy. You come get something from him. No, it's intimate. He's Father, Abba. We were singing it. It was coming out. Abba, I belong to you. Oh, Jesus says, when you pray, say, our Father. Our Father. It's corporate. It ain't personal. My Father. No, it's our Father. It's corporate. He says, when you pray, Friends, I want you to know there's not one relationship in your life that happened or grew on accident. Think about that. Any relationship that means anything to you happened through intentionality and history. And yet when it comes to God, I don't want to get religious. Tell your wife that next date night. I don't want to get religious and just put that in the schedule. What if I'm not in the mood? She'd look at you, you better get in the mood. No, it's intentionality that prioritizes and develops intimacy. So he says, when you pray, which means prayer looks like a definable time and place every day that no amount of opportunity can talk you out of, nor amount of difficulty and trial can get you out of. There is a win. There is a definable time. You need to find that time. For me, it's before anybody wakes up at six in the morning. Others of you, it's late at night after everyone's gone to bed. Others of you, it's your commute to work. You need to find and how to build closets that nothing can get in the middle of. Because it won't happen on accident. It will happen through intentionality. You're like, all I got is 15 minutes. You build a closet of 15 minutes, he'll invade it. I got 15 minutes. He will invade it. You know what you're going to find? You're going to start removing things in your life to make it 30, to make it 45, to make it an hour. And then you're going to begin to live out of the flow of the wind all day long as you become a walking prayer room. A walking prayer room. Most people don't like prayer because nobody likes hanging out with an ugly, boring person who doesn't like them. And yet, that's the way most of us view God. He's ugly, boring, and he doesn't really like me, but I gotta pay my time 
or I'll get in trouble. Friends, he is the most beautiful, the most exhilarating, the most fascinating, the most stunning person you will ever meet. He is the kindest person you will ever meet. He is absolutely stunning. He's an inexhaustible treasure house of glory and power and wisdom and kindness and love. And he's generous. He's rich and generous. I know a lot of rich people that aren't. He's the richest person you will ever meet and he's really generous. And most of us view God like a middle-class working dad with seven billion children. Oh, shucks, he's got a good heart. But he works so hard and got so many demands. That's an idol you need to smash. Smash your idols. Smash your wrong views of God. That's not him. That's someone you made up. Everybody say in heaven. Say it again. Prayer begins in heaven. You don't have to repeat that one, but do it anyway. Prayer begins in heaven. So here's my question. Do you know how to ascend to heaven? Do you know how to get up there? You know, brother, I, I thought we'd go into heaven after we die. Fly, fly away, oh glory. Yet Colossians 3 says, if you've been raised with Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, take these five inches and set them on things above. Set your mind on things above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, you will appear with him in glory. The apostolic command is fill your mind with throne room. It's not a suggestion, it's not for weird charismatics. This is apostolic command. Church, get delivered from temporal mindsets and let the throne room fill your mind. Let it fill your imagination. Let it fill your thought life. No, no, you're not hearing me. I don't wanna just be charismatic in nature. I wanna learn how to flow in the spirit. I don't wanna just move in soulish energy. I wanna know the spirit. How do, I, how do I ascend? I'll tell you how you start learning how to ascend. I want you to start lifting up your heads. Everybody lift your heads up. We're about to get scoliosis healed in here. Some of y'all got back and neck problems after these last three years. Been looking down at phones too long. Been looking down at TVs too long. Been talking to one another. Been looking down to the ground. You got back issues and neck issues. Yep. Three times in the Gospels, Jesus lifted his eyes to heaven. See, I think one of the, the prophetic calls to the church in this hour is lift your eyes and lift your hands. Begin to get disconnected from the second heavens conversations that's flowing through our social media outlets. All those things are doing is flowing anxiety and fear and how to build for your future. You call it wisdom, but it's fear and anxiety because you're listening to Second Heaven's conversations. Get to the throne room. Get 
to the throne room, friend. How do I get there? You declare it, you read Bible verses, you pray in tongues and you declare it till you get there. How do I know I'm there? You'll know. You'll know. The air gets thinner. The air gets brighter, something. It's moving through turbulence. Most of you live under funk. Most of you live under clouds of depression and fear and anxiety and and discouragement and hopelessness and they've become friends on your shoulder that you just live with, that you become friends with. But friends, I'm here to tell you, your portion and your inheritance is the throne room of God. Put up Revelation 4 right here. I'm about to take you to the throne room. Let's go. I saw a door standing open in heaven. What I'm about to tell you is not Disney World. It's happening right now. It's not a make-believe place. It's just foreign to us because we look at other things too long. I saw a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven. Friends, I need you to know that there is a throne that is far above every principality, power, ruler, and dominion. It's above every name that is named, every power base, every governmental system, every governmental base, there is a throne that is set. It's immovable. There'll never be a coup to overthrow it. It's set from eternity. He's set enthroned at the flood and he sits as king forever. And we have direct access to the throne by the blood of Jesus, friends. The one on the throne, he shines like Jasper. He burns like Sardius and he's an emerald rainbow surrounding him. It sounds weird because John's coming up with words to try to help us, but it's really weak. Like, like, not exactly, but like, I don't know. He's blinding, burning mercy. Blinding, burning mercy. Around the throne are 24 thrones and on them sit elders. This is where you and I come into the storyline. Everybody say, I'm robed. Say, I'm throned. And I'm crowned. Do you have any idea what you look like in the presence of God? You're not last week's failure. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. Are y'all okay? Thought the 11 is supposed to be more intense. You're just checking it off a week, weekly box. Just checking me off and during me for 20 more minutes. Where's your hunger at? It's lagging. I'm not talking about louder. I'm talking about pulling on the anointing. I appreciate long standings when I come up to preach, but I feel honor when I can feel your hunger. Hunger that's desperate to break out of cycles. Hunger that's, that's desperate to break through 
situations at home. I need God, not as a nice, if this helps my quiet time. I can put that in my journal tomorrow. I need God. I gotta learn how to get out of funk and get into the throne room and get into that place of peace and joy and righteousness. I've gotta get something stronger than the spirit of this age that says you need to drink this or have that or do this to find happiness. I gotta touch a joy that transcends anything that this world offers. Around the throne, robe throne crowned. From the throne, lightnings, thunderings, voices. Before, around the throne, in the midst of the throne, four living creatures full of eyes, around and within, and they do not rest day or night. Look at that, full of eyes. Everybody say full of eyes. You're gonna meet these guys one of these days. Ah. Eyes on the kneecaps. You gotta ask a question, why God? What are you doing? He goes, you don't understand the power of sight. You don't understand the power of eyes. You don't understand that when eyes are open, lips get anointed. You don't understand that to see is everything. And that when you stop seeing, you start dying. Well, brother, I was blind, but now I see, hallelujah. Stop. But church of Laodicea, because you say you see, and you don't know that you're blind, I counsel you to buy from me eye salve so that you may see. Brother, I'm a church, I can't be blind. Yes, you can. When you're living in the memory of last year, Friends, you cannot live in the memory of last year's breakthrough, last year's insight, last year's revival. There is always fresh revelation that needs to touch your spirit. And the spirit of religion, if it settles you into a complacency that stops crying to see, and then cataracts gets on your spiritual eyes. Blindness touches you. And the person who's blind don't know they're blind. Hallelujah, I remember the day he saved me. That's religion, living in last year's breakthrough. Eyes, 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 eyes. They do not rest. Holy, holy, holy. That doesn't sound productive. Don't they need to be doing stuff? Oh, they will. They will, they need to go be fruitful. Oh, they will. Three, two, one, holy, they combust. Holy, holy, holy. And guess what happens when holy comes from anointed eyes? Crowns start falling, crowns start falling. Friends, come to the throne. Get your eyes open. Quit looking at lesser images. Get off of all the stuff and let your eyes get flooded with light. Are you fascinated? That's the greatest crisis confronting the church of America. It's fascination and the lack of it in the church. 
the throne and the groan. I want to talk to you the next 17 minutes about the groan. If I had time, I would walk you through all the throne stuff, but I feel like the Lord gave me an assignment to give both today. The heights of prayer and the depths of prayer. Because there's another lesson that when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, he didn't stop with the Lord's prayer. He gave them a parable about there will be seasons in your life where you're stuck in a furnace called divine delay. And to where you need a breakthrough from God now, but he's not seeming to be on your timetable. And what do you do when you're in the furnace of delayed answers? What happens when you need God now and nothing's happening? You got two responses, either backtrack and keep your fake hallelujahs or let it break you through into a new prayer that doesn't stop until you see the answer come to your prayers. God is taking the church to prayer on the other side of words. I'm calling it tears, tongues, and travail. We want everyone to be baptized in the spirit, receive your prayer language, but I'm after more than a couple of dribblings at an altar call. I'm after then a couple of dribblings when you're feeling God. I want you at 5.30 with a cup of coffee in your hand, pacing in your living room, praying in the Holy Ghost. There are seasons where you don't see the immediate breakthrough and God wants to train you how to pray. Go with me to John 11. We did Luke 11, now we're gonna look at John 11. Hallelujah. You with me? You with me? Your spirits need to get mightier. Your spirits need to get mightier. Your capacity needs to grow. Hallelujah. What happens when you need God now and the thing you're crying out for dies? Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. I love this next verse. It was that Mary. Everybody say that Mary. No, say it again. Which Mary? Which Mary? Okay. It was that Mary who did what? Who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. Now this is interesting. John, when does that story happen? Oh, it won't happen until chapter 12, but I wanna tell you now. Why, John? Because I'm connecting what she has to walk through in John 11 to the oil she's gonna pour out in John 12. Which means this, oil gets produced in crushing. And the crushing you're walking through in this season is preparing oil you're gonna pour out on him in the next. You gotta understand the purpose of your season. She wiped her feet, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Let's roll. Therefore the sister sent to Jesus saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Jesus is about to release one of the greatest statements in the gospels. He gets the letter and he goes, this sickness is not unto death, but it's for the glory of God that the son of God may be glorified through it. Hallelujah. What a statement. 
This is not going to end in death. He didn't say he wouldn't die. He just said it's not going to end in death. And he goes, glory is coming out of this story. Glory is coming out of this story. So look at verse 5. Jesus knows what's going to happen from the beginning. And then, I don't know why John needed to tell us this, but it says he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So the natural next verse is, he translates to Bethany, heals Lazarus, he gets up and they have a party. Because that's what love looks like. Love immediately fixes the problem. Jesus had done this for strangers. The Roman centurion came to him in Matthew 8 and said, hey, my servant's lying at home. He goes, hey, I'll come and heal him. Oh, you don't have to come and heal him. Just speak the word. Jesus doesn't even have to translate to Bethany. Just speak the word. You did it for a Roman centurion. You did it for sinners, strangers. Now you got people you love, which means this. If you're walking through a season where you feel like things are dying, you're in good company. He must love you. <laughs> he loved him. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he's at. What? That don't sound like love. Jesus goes, you have no idea what I'm about to do. But you gotta understand what I'm doing. He stayed where he was at two more days knowing that him staying means Lazarus dies. Some of you have cried out to God for a breakthrough in your marriage and it seems in some ways to get worse. Children that you raised up in the things of God that have gone south over the last few years and you don't understand what's happening. Financial situations, relational situations, circumstances, callings that you felt so sure of God and are seeming to be a death in the calling. What happens in the human heart when there's delay and death? What kind of prayer comes out of you in those kinds of seasons? This is when God's delivering you from nice, pretty, religious praying and he's going to the core of your being to awaken a new prayer on the inside of you. It's a new prayer for a new season. I'm talking to here. Jesus is going to wait and he's going to let the thing die. Four days go by, two different responses are going to come forth out of Martha and Mary. Go with me to verse 17. Here we go. So when Jesus came, he finally shows up to Bethany. He found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Everybody say four days. Jesus is four days late. No, he's not, brother. It's perfect timing. No, he's late. No, no, it's all perfect in this timing. No, he's late because he's dead. And Jesus shows up. But look at this next verse. Oh, I love this. Next verse. Next verse. <laughs> I love this. Now Martha, as soon as she heard, and keep it here for a second, as Jesus was coming, she went and she met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. I've got some questions about Mary. Either she's lazy 
or she's learned something. I think she's learned something. Learning how to sit in tension. I want to define to you what real faith looks like. It's not walking around with a bunch of excited proclamations or living way over here in depression, but it's setting in tension where there hasn't been resolution yet. And I'm not getting out of the tension by medicating my pain with more work, more relationships, more substances, more golf courses, more stuff to do. I'm gonna live in the tension. And I'm gonna refuse to medicate and anesthetize pain. I know who you are, God. But I don't understand why you haven't gotten here and I'm gonna live in the tension until the two become one. As soon as Martha just pacing in the house, I know he got the letter. Why is he dead? Why didn't he get here? I saw what he did for the Roman centurion. He did it for that sinner. Oh, do you know her story? My God, she was so messed up. So checked it. Jesus immediately healed her. That woman, that man, that woman, he loves us. We're righteous. We've hosted him. As soon as, boom, Martha takes off. As soon as she hears, Mary's waiting. Look at verse 21. Martha runs right up to Jesus, stands face to face with him and said, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. That sounds nice. It's the very words Mary will pray in 10 more verses. But she's gonna pray it standing up, looking right at him. And then she's gonna try to couch her statement with what I call plastic prayers and plastic proclamations. Jesus is looking in these kinds of seasons to provoke a new prayer on the inside of you. And if you stay in religious Niceville of your prayer life and don't let the moment cut you, you're not going anywhere with God. I'm trying to teach you all about prayer. Now Martha said, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But then she's gonna get into it and I can hear her say, all right, organ player, turn it on. Yeah. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. I know. Everybody say, I know. When someone says, I know, they don't know. The very indictment you don't know is when you say you know. Because there's some seasons, it's not about knowing. It's about living. It's about living intention. Jesus, stone cold, your brother will rise again. Turn the Morgan back on. Ah, ah, I know he's going to rise again at the resurrection at the last day. At the sound of the last trumpet, bodies are going to shoot out of the grave. I believe in resurrection. Resurrects is coming someday. Jesus, stone cold. Verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Stop with all your plastic theologies. Stop with all the right answers. I want you to pull resurrection into your story. 
and I'm standing right in front of you and you're just hiding behind your theology and faith won't pull me into the story. Verse 26, do you believe this? Verse 27, yes, Lord, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God who's coming to the world. Bang, stops. Verse 28, when she had said these things, she went her way secretly calling Mary, her sister, saying the teacher has come and is calling for you. Do you see Jesus ask for Mary? Tell me. Why would Martha then secretly run back into the city and say he's calling for you? I think Martha got in the middle of this whole thing and she would say, he's coming at the last day, I am the resurrection. Bang, bang, bang. They were talking on two different frequencies because she had no history. She didn't learn his language. Therefore in crisis, all she had was her soul and he was in the spirit. See, we gotta learn how to go back to Luke 10 and learn how to wait in the waiting room. How to sit before the word of God. How to let the word of God wash you and deliver you from all the awesome stuff you think you're gonna do and let his words define you so you learn his frequency. Most of us live in crisis mode and we scream, God, I need you! And nothing's happening. I need you! Nothing's happening. And we're in the soul, anxiety and fear. Worry about the future of what's gonna happen. And the Lord's saying, I want you to come under my word. Sit before me. She arose and came. Go to verse 32. Mary came where Jesus was. She saw him, and look at where she's gonna pray her prayer from, at his feet. And she's gonna say the exact same phrase as Martha, but she's gonna pray it from his feet, saying, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. It's not about having the right prayer, it's having the right posture. It's not about the right formula, you need to learn to unlock your future. And if I learn the exact formula, bing, No, it's letting the moment cut you and deliver you from having it all together. Come on, pretty Dallas-Fort Worth people. Come on, you beautiful people, you sophisticated. It's all together. We're not gonna let nobody know nothing's going on and we'll build a wall around it. And God's looking for vulnerability to say, I don't and I need Look at this, when Jesus saw her weeping, Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit. The throne and the groan. A prayer that awakens a groan in God. A prayer that stirs the bowels of heaven. What did John hear or see that made him say Jesus was groaning? Did John John hear something? Probably. Did John see something probably? Why, what does groaning in God look like? 
See, this is the power of this. Weak, broken human beings can bring the Son of God into our story to awaken a groan in him to move on our behalf. It's not some mechanical, if it's God's will, it's God's will. It's God's will. He groaned. Verse 34, now he's active. Where have you laid him? They said, come and see. And then we see the longest verse in the Bible. And the reason you're laughing is because you haven't meditated on it. Who gets to see weeping from you? When's the last time you ugly cried? Mascara flowing, snot rolling, groans and gutterings and cries from the depths of your soul. Who gets to see that side of you? Maybe one person. The Son of God comes in the flesh and in the eyes of the whole world, surrounded by strangers, Pharisees, disciples, friends, ongoers, a storm comes out of the Son of God and he weeps and he weeps and he weeps and he weeps. See, this is why Jesus knew what was gonna happen from the beginning, but he couldn't translate to the resurrection of Lazarus he had to get into the valley of weeping with his friends. Friends, if I had time, I need you to understand whatever you're walking through, he's not at the finish line, he's with you in the valley. He's not waiting for you just to get through this season. Everybody wants to fast forward to the best parts. And the Lord says, no, I'm in these seasons. And there's a revelation of me that you're going to discover that's going to become the seedbed to your resurrection. That until you discover the God who weeps with you in your darkest night and produces a weeping spirit on the inside of you, you're not gonna move into resurrection. He wept. No other God comes and weeps with us. Everybody gives commentary. Keep going. Just keep rolling through these verses. Well, stop there. Stop there. Now he's wept. 30 minutes, I'm convinced of. He's weeping, and now the lion comes up out of the valley. Wiping away tears. He's coming up out. He's still groaning in himself. He's still groaning. Oh, oh. His, his tears, his anger, his frustration, his zeal. He's groaning. He comes to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus looked at it and he goes, take away the stone. Y'all remember 10 verses later, the I know woman? Now we get to see that I know was a bunch of polished ways to cover and masquerade unbelief. She said, Lord, let's get practical. He stinks. Verse 40, didn't I say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of God? I thought you knew. I thought you knew. I thought you knew the right answers. I thought you knew the right proclamations about theology. Jesus goes, yeah, I don't need fill-in-the-blank quizzes. I need your heart. 
Verse 41, they took away the stone. He lifted his eyes. Everybody lift your eyes. He said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. It's his history with Abba. And I know that you always hear me, present. Verse 43, and when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with the cloth and Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. A man who had been in a tomb four days when Jesus screamed at a cave, he walked out, a man walked out. Completely wrapped in linen. Some of you are, you have Lazaruses in your life. Maybe it's your marriage, your children, your finances. There's so much divorce and dividing in families as well. There's so much war over families. A lot of people have lost connection with parents and siblings. Whether it be political issues, religious issues, the spirit of this age is dividing. And you feel pain over the death. And I want you to know that I believe with all my heart, and first off, if that's you, I want you to stand. You're in a Lazarus season in one of these seasons. Good. Anybody else? Nobody's gonna make fun of you now if you stand up. Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's a new prayer for a new season. A new prayer for a new season. A new prayer for a new season. If they're next to you, I want you to put your hand on them. Let's have the band come up. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Mercy Culture Church. If this podcast has blessed you, we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend. To learn more about us, find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com.